What's going on, Fantasy World? Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy's Finest Podcast. I am your host, William Spencer. No Jalen, again. It's cool, though. Um, I actually talked to him, and he actually hurt his back, so he wasn't able to come out and join us for this episode. So I'm going to make sure that he's all right uh, and make sure that he can be up and running. So hopefully we can have him back, man. I, I missed the guy. It's, what, two episodes now? <laughs> But, you know, hope we get get him back up to speed and uh, enjoy that colorful banter he likes to provide for us. Um, in this episode, we're going to be going over our tight end rankings. Well, my tight end rankings, uh, 1 through 12 for the season. Uh, tight ends, they're the hardest position to actually go through to try and find some, some worth. You know, after the first couple of guys, it's a, a bit of a drop off. But that's why I'm here. I'm going to help you guys find out what tight ends that you should be targeting uh, later on in your drafts, as well as the the high-end guys who I have ranked uh, that you may want to draft or may not. But that's going to be later on in the show. We actually got a question sent in to us from one of our followers on our Facebook page. So we're going to get into that before we jump into our news and headlines segment. And, uh, you know, we got some other things going on as well in this episode. But before we get into everything else, make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fantasy's Finest. Make sure you also go on Facebook and like our page. Join our community at Fantasy's Finest. Um, You know, got to love Facebook. People still love Facebook. (laughs) But please uh, feel free to join our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also subscribe and share the podcast. Uh, we're on a bunch of different podcast platforms. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Breaker. We're on a bunch of them. So hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. You know, show us some love. We show love back too, so we appreciate all of those that have subscribed or will subscribe. And let us know how we doing. But let's get into that question. Okay, so our friend Samantha from our Facebook page sent us a question, and she's uh, having trouble drafting defenses during her fantasy drafts. She says, "Drafting a good defense is the hardest thing for me to do during fantasy drafts. What's the best way to draft a defense?" Now. I like to do a couple of different things, but the ones that have seemed to work out for me, um, I normally like to check the rankings. This is something that everybody should be doing. Um, or, you know what? Some may, some people who are new to fantasy may not know how to do this, but there's a, a website you should check out called fantasyfootballcalculator.com. And what they do is they provide rankings uh, for the upcoming year for fantasy. Now, I checked these guys out, and the top five defenses that they have ranked are Chicago, the Rams, the Jaguars, uh, the Chargers, and the Ravens. So you have a base of where to start at for drafting your defenses. Those are the top five targets that you should be looking at to draft this season. Now, just in case you miss out on these five names or you know any of the, the ones in the middle of the pack, Another way that you could draft a defense, 
um, is streaming. Now, this is a little more complicated because you have to play it week to week. But to start the season, what you could do is you check the week one uh, matchups, and then you pick from you pick the defense that has the easiest matchup that week. So, for starters, like I have the the Eagles versus the Redskins, the Cowboys versus the Giants, and the Broncos versus the Raiders. So, you know, the Redskins don't really have any wide receivers that they're going to that are threatening. Um, you have Jordan Reed, but you know he's he's a very iffy player. So the Eagles should be able to dominate that game, or at least have a good fantasy, at least have a good fantasy um, field day. You know, against the Redskins and Case Keenum. Uh, the Cowboys play the Giants. The Giants are lacking weapons as well. Golden Tate is facing a four-game suspension. Sterling Shepard is still dealing with that hand injury. Corey Coleman, their speedster and deep threat, he's out for the season with a torn ACL. So you're basically looking at Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram to be the top targets. Of course, you got Saquon Barkley, but uh, with the lack of weapons in the, in the passing game, the Cowboys could have... A better time uh, against the Giants, and then the Broncos and Raiders. If AB don't play, I would take the I would take the Broncos. Uh, but he's day to day now. Um, they, they've been saying that he's supposed to start Week One. We'll see. But you know, those are the those are some of the matchups for Week One that I would target: the Eagles, the Cowboys, and maybe the Broncos. But hopefully, we've been able to help you out, Samantha. Really appreciate you sending her your question into us and if you guys listening have any questions please feel free to send them to us and you know critique us too let us know what you think of the advice now let's keep it going and go into our news and headlines from around the nfl okay first up on our news segment Pete carroll has been gushing over chris carson uh, stating that he's been having the best hands on the team. That's a bit of a shock to me. You would think, you know, somebody like Tyler Lockett has the best hands on the team. But he expects him to catch more passes out of the backfield for this coming season. And they want to, or Pete Carroll, wants the running backs to have a more impact in the passing game uh, this coming season too. Uh, he also mentioned Rashard Penny. Uh, being more involved in the passing game uh, for the 2019 season. But as far as fantasy value, uh, both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny should have a tremendous value uh, for this fantasy season because of the fact that the Seattle Seahawks just like to run the ball a whole lot. Uh, they led the league in rushing attempts last season, and now you have Chris Carson and Rashad Penny as the one maybe 1A, 1B type roles. Mike Davis isn't there anymore. He's in Chicago. So those touches get disseminated towards those two. So I would expect both of them to have good value this year. Uh, Of course, Chris Carson is going to be the first one uh, picked off the board, but you can also get Rashard Penny uh, at a value later on in the draft. In other news, the Texans, Colts, and Browns have been playing musical chairs at the running back position. The Texans cut running back Deontay Foreman over alleged lazy work ethic. The Colts 
put Spencer Ware on injured reserve, then picked up Deontay Foreman uh, off waivers, and then the Browns traded pass catching back Duke Johnson to the Texans for a conditional fourth round pick, which could end up being a third rounder. I actually thought that Deontay Foreman was going to end up on a team that could actually use him. The Colts picking up Foreman just means that it's going to be more of a depth move because they lost Spencer Ware. You already have Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines there. So it's not expected for Foreman to get a significant role. Hopefully he gets cut and gets picked up somewhere else. Um, that's what, you know, that's what I would hope. Not nothing against uh, Deontay Foreman, but, you know, I would rather him go somewhere where he could be used and could be or could have fantasy value this season. As far as Duke Johnson, which is interesting, Lamar Miller would have been the only running back that they would have would have had on the team worth anything. But now that you have Duke Johnson there and with Kiki QT uh, banged up a little bit, maybe Duke Johnson has a shot at a role for the for the Texans out of the backfield. They could start targeting Duke Johnson a little bit more, but they haven't really been known to use the uh, the running back as a pass catcher um, for the team. So that's just something to look out for. Maybe that changes this year because they actually have a guy who can be dynamic and moved around a bit uh, from the backfield to the slot in Duke Johnson. In other news, Andy Reid told reporters that the Chiefs will use a committee this season. Now, this is coming off the heels of the fact that Damian Williams was out missing practice because of a hamstring injury. Uh, he missed a total of 10 days worth of practice. Now, this is a bit contrary to the start of the offseason where they were like, oh, you know, Damian Williams is going to be our starter. He's our guy. He's our guy. And then to say that you're going to use a committee while he's trying to recover from a hamstring injury, it's kind of a kind of a stab at him. Because I guess Andy Reid was like, yo, where is this guy? Why is he still hurt? You know, we need to get things going. Uh, in camp, Carlos High has been taking uh, the lead reps with Darrell Williams and Darwin Thompson mixed in as well. Later on, Damian Williams had returned, was able to return to practice after missing that stint, and he started getting some shots or getting some reps with the ones again. Now, the question is, are you buying Andy Reid still using a committee? For me, it's no. We know that Damian Williams has never been a starting running back at any point in his career, but we saw what he could do if he got the role. You saw last season towards the end, uh, his production, how he's used in the offense, his pass-catching ability out the backfield. You know Andy Reid loves pass-catching backs. He also loves speed. You can see how fast um, Damian Williams was um, out of the backfield. So I think that they're really going to give him a shot. I think more or less Andy Reid was just, you know, talking a little smack like, well, since Damian ain't here, we might as well use a running back by committee. And then Damian was like, oh, snap, you know, Reed trying to give my job away. Nah, let me get off off this bench real quick. So it may, be, it may have been a tactic by Reed just to light a fire under Williams and let him know, like, look, man, we need you out here to get these reps so we can get ready for the season. 
Now, continuing the the news, this is a little bit more bonkers because it's coming out of Oakland. If you've been living under a rock the last couple of days, I don't know what to tell you. And of course, it stems from Antonio Brown. Uh, he's been seemingly going off the rails lately. Brown filed a grievance against the NFL over wanting to wear his old helmet, which is not uh, mandated by the league anymore. He also told the Raiders that if he does not get to wear his helmet, he will retire from the league. Yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> you tell <laughs> you tell me that you're going to retire from the league if you don't get to wear this helmet. You are going to return $30 million, which is, I believe, part of his uh, guaranteed money for his contract. You're right. I'm calling you bluff every time. But not only has he been dealing with this um, as the latest news, he's also still been dealing with his uh, frostbitten feet uh, that he got from wearing the wrong footwear in the cryogenic chamber or cryotherapy chamber. It's, it's been one thing after another with Antonio Brown. Most recent reports have said that his uh, injury is day-to-day, so hopefully, you know, he'll be he'll get his mind right and uh, he'll be able to get back out there on a the practice field and get ready for week one. The Browns had some news pop up on them uh, in, the, in the way of, by the way, of Antonio Callaway. He was suspended for the first four games of the regular season for violating the league's drug policy. Rashard Higgins' season... And then we have a update on Andrew Luck. Now, this is, is getting pretty extensive because of the fact that it's been going on since March. Now, Andrew Luck has been dealing with a calf injury, and he says that he's hopeful to be ready for week one. Now, this calf injury we've actually talked about on the show quite a bit, uh, I believe the last couple of episodes, because he's been dealing with this injury since March. Now, in a recent interview, Jim Ursay said that uh, Andrew Luck has been having a small little bone problem. Now, the athletics, the athletics reporter Zach Cafe Kaffer, I'm, I'm chopping his name up, tweeted a bit about it on his timeline. He said that the they had an MRI in March that revealed a capturing. Lux, Lux starts camp, and then the pain spreads to the ankle. Colts believe that it's O's trigonom. I don't know what that is, and I'm not a doctor, so if you can tell me what it is, I'm all ears. And this is what led to Ursay's comments about the small little bone problem. This was later found out to be not the case. Now it's believed that the medical staff for the Colts have found the issue. It doesn't require surgery, just rehab. And in most recent uh, reports, uh, GM Chris Ballard stated that it could be a high ankle sprain. So to me, this says that nobody really knows what's going on with Andrew Luck. It's kind of a red flag because we all know how much the passing game and the wide receivers are tied to Andrew Luck. So if he doesn't start week one, it's a damper on guys like T.Y. Hilton and Devin Funches and the tight ends. So hopefully, whatever's going on with him, there's enough time left in the offseason for Andrew Luck to recover and be ready for uh, the week one. And finally, the Cowboys have waived tight end Rico Gathers, 
who was picked up by the Cleveland Browns. Now, I'm going to say this. I was a fan of Rico Gaither's, and I was hopeful that the Cowboys were going to use him because he's a guy, he's a big tight end target. He can catch the ball, but he was not used like that in, in Dallas. Now, if he goes to Cleveland, he niches out a job uh, to be able to get on the field and catch passes, I'm going to be pissed. But I'm not going to be pissed at Rico Gathers. I'm going to be mad at the Cowboys organization, particularly J- Jason Garrett, because for a guy who was not able to grasp the playbook, he was bad at blocking, and all these other factors – if he comes to Cleveland and they use Rico Gathers in some form or fashion to catch the ball out off the line of scrimmage as a tight end, I'm going to be mad because you wasted an opportunity behind all these things that you said Rico Gathers couldn't do, and now he's out here showing out. Like, come on, dude. But that's going to wrap it up for our new segment. Now let's get into our rankings for our tight ends for this season. Finally, now we get to get into these tight end rankings for the 2019 season. So it should come as no surprise who I have at my number one, and that's Travis Kelsey from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Kelsey just does too much not to warrant that number one spot. He gets a bunch of targets. He gets a bunch of yards. He gets a bunch of touchdowns. He's used heavily on the offense. He doesn't come off the field. He's a no-brainer when it comes to drafting tight ends the only problem is that if you're going to get him you're going to have to draft him high uh he should be no lower than the second round uh his adp is set at 205 so you're going to have to pay a pretty pretty too many p's (laughs) pretty penny to get him uh he ranked second most uh targets in the nfl among tight ends at uh 150 targets he was second in yards per game with 83.5 you know he he just does so much which is why he's one of the most coveted tight ends in the league so if you want him you got to go reach and get him coming in at number two I have Zach Ertz now Zach Ertz I believe is going to still have a good year there's some changes to the offense that may take away some of his targets. He actually ranked first in targets last year with 156 among all tight ends. But you do have, you know, new rookie uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. You have Deshaun Jackson. You have Darren Sproles returning. You have Miles Sanders. And they're swearing by Jordan Howard being able to catch out of the backfield. Where have we heard that from uh, before? The point is, is that there are a lot more passing options. You still have Nelson Aguilar there. Talk has been ramping up about how they're going to use Dallas Goddard this year. So you have to look at these and factor in that maybe Zach Ertz might not see as many targets as he did last year, but he should still be one of the focal points in the offense where drafting him uh, early will still pay off, and he's still going to be the number the number two tight end on most people's lists. Uh, like he, I have him at, like I said, I have him at number two. And if I can get him, if I strategize a way to get Zach Ertz early without hurting my team, I think that I would make that move. He's being drafted around the latter part of the third round. 308 is his ADP. So 
you'll have to you know, like like uh, Travis Kelsey. You're gonna have to spend a high draft pick to get him. Coming in at number three, I have George Kettle from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he was a highly ranked. He finished as a highly ranked tight end last year. He was third in targets last year with 135. He had over uh, 1,300 yards, 1,377, which ranked second among tight ends last season. Now, George Kettle comes into this season, and a lot of people have been saying, like, oh, you know, it's probably a fluke because of how well he did without Jimmy Garoppolo on the field. But Jimmy's back, and they have a lot of new faces at the wide receiver position. You have Jalen Hurd. You have Debo Samuels. You have Marquise Goodwin, who's trying to make a comeback after being injured last year. Dante Pettis is still there. And you have Matt Breda and Tevin Coleman coming out of the backfield. But I think that George Kettle is still a big presence in the pass-catching core as a whole. You have to look at the wide receivers and outside of Dante Pettis and maybe Marquise Goodwin if he can lock down one of the starting roles. The other two guys are rookies. It's not too fair to expect big things out of them this season. Another thing is that word out of camp recently is that Dante Pettis has been looking a little shaky, so they don't know whether or not he's going to be able to lock up a job as a starter. So if, you know, push comes to shove and Pettis is knocked out of that starting job, who are you throwing the ball to? Kettle should be the relief for Jimmy Garoppolo, and I still think that he has some value despite the skepticism that he's been seeing in uh, fantasy circles. But I still believe that George Kettle can still have a good season, and I don't think that you should sleep on him just because of, you know, skeptics. Number four, I have Evan Ingram. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't have Evan Ingram ranked in the beginning because I was not a fan of the Giants' offense as a whole. You know, Golden Tate's there. Sterling Shepard is. They're both basically slot receivers trying to play outside. Sterling has a little more value because of how he'll be used in offense. He's going to be used – I think he's going to be used more on the outside than he would be on the inside uh, at the slot this year. But the thing that helps now is because of all the injuries that have happened to the team, Golden State got suspended for four games. Coleman, Corey Coleman, uh, tore his ACL during camp, so he's gone for the year. Sterling Shepard is going to try and play through an injured thumb. So to start the season off, you're only going to have Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and, of course, Saquon Barkley. But Saquon Barkley can only do so much by himself. Um, I think defenses are going to try and key in on him this year because of how big he was last year, which means Evan Ingram could be that that guy, the unsung hero for the Giants, because of how much more volume he could he could be seeing in the passing game. Because outside of Sterling Shepard, you have Cody Lattimore and Russell Shepard. They're basically nobodies. So you're going to, if I'm Eli Manning, I'm looking at Evan Ingram to help bail me out until Golden Tate comes back and then he can take some pressure off Eli Manning in terms of usage in the passing game. Uh, Evan Ingram's being drafted at 5'11", so he can wait a little bit on him. Because of his fantasy value going up with the news of the Golden Tate suspension and injuries, he may have to reach for him a little bit early, but if you if he does slide to that fifth, sixth round, 
I I would definitely scoop him up. The volume alone over the first four weeks of the season should be um, should bowl well enough for him to have a good start to the fantasy season. Now at number five, I have O.J. Howard from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Howard is an intriguing piece for me because I try not to get caught up in the the Tampa Bay hype with you know Bruce Arians there now and he's going to change this and he's going to make Jameis Winston better. But you have to acknowledge the talent that uh, O.J. Howard has because of how he did well last season until the, the ankle injury took him out. Uh, he had 565 yards, uh, which ranked 13th among tight ends. He had five touchdowns, which ties for six. He finished 14th overall in PPR. He has potential. The only problem is he has to stay on the field. He only played 10 games last year. He saw 48 targets. But with the departures of Adam Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson, that left a total of 117 targets based on targets last year. Now, Mike Evans is not going to see a huge increase in targets based on the fact that he's already been a heavily targeted wide receiver. So those targets should be shared between Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard. So maybe... 30 more targets, 40 more targets, puts him in 80, maybe 90 range in terms of targets. That's a good size chunk increase for a tight end, and he's likely to be the number three option in the passing game anyway. But O.J. Howard should be in for a good uh, fantasy year with less targets to go around to other people and him being one of the focal points in the passing game for the Bucs. Um, and Jameis Winston likes him too. He's been talking him up in the offseason. And hopefully that'll turn to actual production uh, on the field. Uh, O.J. Howard is being drafted around the fifth round, uh, 509. I actually like O.J. Howard. If I can get him, um, I will. My strategy tends to lend to drafting tight ends later on in the draft. I like to build up my team first and then go after my tight end. But if he's lingering around and he starts to slide, maybe he slides into the seventh round, maybe. Um, I'm definitely scooping him up. For my number six tight end on my list, I have Hunter Henry from the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, he came back from ACL late last year. The tight end, Antonio Gates, is no longer there. Terrell Williams is no longer there. He's in a similar situation like O.J. Howard is in the fact that there are targets left over from the previous season with players making their departures, and he tends to benefit from the targets that are left. He had, not he, but Williams and Gates combined for 110 targets last season, and if you factor in the targets that Melvin Gordon saw, who's still um, in holdout, those are another 66 targets to add to that pie. So now you're looking at a potential 176 targets to be shared throughout the passing game. Hunter Henry could be used like Antonio Gate was when he was there. And we saw a significant amount of production from Antonio Gates because Phillip Rivers loves to use tight ends and he especially likes to use them in the red zone. So if Hunter Henry can get on the same page as Phillip Rivers, that's the kind of production that I expect to see out of Hunter Henry. He's being drafted in around the sixth round, early in the sixth round, 605. He he's uh he's a tight end that I like 
a lot this season. Um, I'm expecting big things from him. The passing game kind of took a hit with Melvin Gordon not being there. Austin Eckler is going to try and fill in his best in the passing role uh, coming out of the backfield, but with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams looking to get more targets and usage, I think Hunter Henry is going to be the guy who can take those short yardage plays and the red zone targets and be uh, a bigger factor than some may be willing to admit. Now let's keep moving. At number seven, I have Eric Ebron. Now, despite the news of Andrew Luck and his calf, I still like Eric Ebron this year. A lot of people are skeptical because of the fact that it's getting a little crowded over in Colts land because of Paris Campbell making noise during training camp, Jack Doyle coming back from injury. You have Devin Funches signed in the offseason to a one-year deal, and you still have T.Y. Hilton there. But I think what people are ignoring is the potential for Eric Ebron to build on his relationship with uh, Andrew Luck as the tight end QB connection. He did have 13 touchdowns last year, which ranked first among tight ends. He only had 750 receiving yards, but he did see uh, quite a bit of targets uh, for a tight end. The only thing that concerns me is that there are going to be people in his way, but I still think that he's going to be used um, in the red zone. I would take him getting used in the red zone over Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle is a pretty decent tight end, but he just can't stay healthy. And I'm not expecting Jack Doyle to stay healthy this season because he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy any other season. So I think that works against Jack Doyle and works more in Ebron's favor. He's being drafted around the seventh round, 708. If he slides to maybe the eighth or ninth round because people are thinking the same thing, I would be fine picking up Eric Ebron later on in the draft to round up my team. And I'll be okay with that. One thing that does kind of tip the scales in his favor is because the Colts are ranked second in passing attempts. So that may be able to even out some of the some of the offsetting skepticism that, you know, because there are so many other places to target the that target wide receivers and other tight ends and running backs that there might not be enough left over for Eric Ebron. Maybe because the Colts pass so much he'll still be able to be to carve out a big role for him. Now, coming in at number eight, I have Jared Cook from the New Orleans Saints. He was part of the Raiders last year. He signed with the uh, Saints this offseason. He actually finished fifth overall among tight ends in PPR last year. The Saints are looking for another pass catcher to do some damage out there with Mike Thomas because there really isn't anyone else there. Ted Ginn has returned from injury, but I don't have any, I don't have much faith in Traquan Smith. Um, Ted Ginn is going to be the deep threat that that uh, takes the top off the defense and will allow Jared Cook to be able to catch the ball underneath and do some damage with Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield. The only thing that I'm worried about with Jared Cook is that the Saints haven't really used tight ends that well since Jimmy Graham left. The only other tight end to actually benefit from being there was Ben Watson back in 2015 where he had his career year for the team. But outside of that, tight end production has looked pretty scarce since, like I said, Jimmy Graham left. Maybe Cook changed the, changes the culture for 
the tight ends there so that they can use him a little bit more. And so Drew Brees can have a weapon that he can dump the ball off to um, that he hasn't had um, in previous years. Jared Cook's being drafted in the seventh round, um, 701. I actually like that ADP for him. Um, he's one of the tight ends. He's another one of the tight ends that I'm targeting for this season. And I'm liking the role that he should have as maybe the third option for the Saints coming into this season. Another guy who I have on my list is Greg Olson for the Carolina Panthers. I think he's being slept on because of the injuries that he's had the last two seasons uh, with the foot, but he's finally gotten it, gotten the work done on his foot. He's had surgery this offseason instead of trying to, you know, let it heal on its own. I, I couldn't believe that that's what he was trying to do this whole time. It just didn't make sense. You broke your foot. You can't just let it heal. You probably have to have surgery so that he can come back and be 100%. But now he's done that. He's fully healthy. He's been cleared for – he's been cleared and has no limitations during practice. And he'll be back as Cam Newton's safety blanket. So Greg Olson, outside of the last two years with the foot injury, he's basically been the unstoppable tight end in terms of durability. He hasn't missed a game. He didn't miss a game until the last two years with the foot. I expect him to return back to his normal self. The foot's no longer an issue. He'll be used underneath to take take the load off of Cam Newton so that he can have a dump off along with Christian McCaffrey. Greg Olson is being drafted in the 13th round. I think that's really cheap for a guy who could potentially bounce back this year. As long as he stays healthy, he's the he's one of my prime tight end targets because I can get him maybe in a 13th round, maybe the 12th round, maybe a little earlier. I don't have to reach to get Greg Olson this year. So that's it's fine with me. I can build up the rest of my team. I, maybe I can take two quarterbacks if I deem it worthy. But Greg Olson is a value pick for me. I'm definitely going to try and scoop him because he's he's basically at the end of the draft, he, or he's not being drafted. So Greg Olson is, if you're the type to wait on tight ends uh, for your fantasy team, check out Greg Olson. Now coming in at number 10, I have Vance McDonald for the Pittsburgh Steelers. V- McDonald did finish 10th last year for the 2018 fantasy season. He had 610 yards and four touchdowns. A.B., and Le'Veon Bell are gone. Um, those targets are gone with them. 168 targets uh, are left in Oakland for um, those players to fill the void there. I actually I like Vance McDonald. He's a tough guy. Um, you saw what he did to the Tampa Bay DB. He stiffed on the back into the nether realm. But the problem is, is that the tight ends – they see usage, but they don't see a lot like, you know, your Zach Ertz's and Travis Kelsey's and, you know, even your Eric Ebron's last season. I I want Vance McDonald to be good, but it just doesn't seem like there's enough usage for him to go around. Juju is going to get his targets. I'm liking Dante Moncrief to solidify that number two role. 
I'm actually pulling for Deontay Johnson to jump over James Washington so that they in three wide receiver sets he could be there, maybe even show up as a number two wide receiver if Dante Moncrief goes down with an injury. He has had trouble in the past staying healthy, but I don't know. James Conner's going to be coming out of the backfield. Jalen Samuels could spell Conner and still catch some passes out of the backfield. I'm not sure how that's going to work out with Vance McDonald. Hopefully he does get those targets. There's enough opportunity for him to get those. But, you know, he's coming in at number 10. He's more he's more safe for me to have a tight end. Um, so, you know, he's not he's not too bad. Um, he does come in. He's coming in a little higher because, you know, you do have – Big Ben there. They do pass the ball a lot. They ranked first uh, in passing attempts last season. They may or may not pass that much now that Antonio Brown is gone. I think that they are because Ben has is going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. After all the comments that were made about how good Antonio Brown was and how he made the Steelers the Steelers, I think Ben is going to try and prove him wrong. And that means in order to prove him wrong, you got to be able to throw the ball. So maybe it works out. But at 10, and his seventh-round ADP is a little sketchy for me, too. That's kind of high compared to the usage that other tight ends could have on my list. His ADP doesn't match his usage for me. So seventh round, that's kind of high for Vance McDonald. But like I said, maybe he builds off the 72 targets he had last year, gets some more, gets a chunk of that pie that's left by Antonio Brown, and he turns it around. Now, coming in at 11, I have Jimmy Graham for the Green Bay Packers. Now, I I thought about adding him a little higher, but I think this is uh, safe for Jimmy Graham, too. You have Matt LaFleur coming over from Tennessee. Um, I actually liked how he used tight ends as opposed to Mike McCarthy, who didn't really use them at all. So that is a plus for Jimmy Graham coming into this season. Another thing about Jimmy Graham is that he's he's also playing with a chip on his shoulder this year. He wants to be better. He's been saying it in interviews and in the, in uh, blogs and newspapers that you know he wants to be better. The organization organization kept him from last season. They're expecting big things from him. Jimmy Graham can still dominate in the red zone, but he was rarely used um, in the red zone last season. He just couldn't get on the same page with Aaron Rodgers for a variety of reasons. He had to deal with some injuries of his own. He did see 89 targets last year, but he just couldn't do much with them. But hopefully this season with, you know, Matt LaFleur coming over as the new head coach, I think that bodes well for Jimmy Graham. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, who's a supreme talent at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers needs passing options, and he didn't really have that last year. Because, you know, he had rookies outside of Devontae Adams coming in. You know, everybody's getting a new year to gel together. And I think that should should bode well for Jimmy Graham, too. He's being drafted in the 13th round. Again, he's – I think he's a value pick, you know, being drafted that late. You don't have to, you know, rush for a tight end. I think Jimmy Graham's going to pay off this year. He's a big – he's still a big target. And with all the receivers getting buzzed this year – I think that's going to take some heat off of him during games. Uh, you're not going to be able to pay attention to just Devontae Adams anymore. 
if the other wide receivers, Geronimo Allison and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, start to prove their worth this year. Now, finally, I have at number 12, Austin Hooper. I was a little apprehensive to add him to my list. You know, there's just too much buzz going around. This, I'll, I'll call it Hooper hype. But he did finish as the tight end six last season. He had 660 yards and four touchdowns. That's not too bad. Um, that's, you know, right around Vance McDonald area. The one thing I do like about Austin Hooper is that Derek Cutter is there now. And I kind of look at how he used O.J. Howard when he was in Tampa. I'm kind of expecting maybe not as much production as O.J. Howard could get this year, but maybe a big increase, a big, maybe big is not the word to use, a significant increase in the touchdown area. When you look at the offense for the Falcons, they don't really use Julio Jones in the red zone or in the end zone like that. Calvin Ridley went off last year in terms of touchdowns. I kind of see those things changing a bit. I think that Julio's going to get used more in the red zone this year, and I think that's going to draw people to try and cover him down there. And I think when that happens, Austin Hooper is going to benefit because with the attention sliding to Julio Jones and now Calvin Ridley because you saw what he was able to do last season, Austin Hooper should be able to get those those short-range touchdowns and be more effective in the red zone. He's being drafted around the 10th round at 10.07. If I if I don't get my target tight ends, I would be I would be fine getting Austin Hooper. I'm not he wouldn't excite me, but he the talent is there. His usage could be there and, and if Dirk Cutter uses Austin Hooper like he did OJ Howard, I think that, that would be that would be pretty good. But that will do it for this episode. We are done with the tight end rankings. Now we can get into something a little more interesting next time in our next episode doing the qbs but before i close it down i just wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people uh first off i wanted to give a shout out to lauren carpenter aka stepmom lauren uh she was kind enough to help me out with some things some questions i had being trying to be more efficient with my rankings uh, and just being overall cool about answering some of the questions that i had just trying to pick her brain Uh, she's on twitter so give her a follow at Stepmom Lauren, L A U R E N. She's also been on. Uh, she's also a fe- fellow fantasy football enthusiast. She's been on a couple of shows, a couple of podcasts that I've been watching or listening to rather. Uh, she was on the uh, Ball Blastin' podcast uh, not too long ago. She's worked with guys like Adam Rank from NFL Fantasy, and uh, she's also. Uh, work. She also does uh, some articles for the FF Ballers. But go check her out. Give her a follow. She's solid, man. So if you're in the fantasy, you're in the fantasy football, she's definitely one of the people that you want to be listening to. Also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Because Cowboys on Twitter, uh, a.k.a. Will Still. He was kind enough to let me come on to his, uh, fan- his uh, Dallas Cowboy fan page. He does a show on there. He does a show on there, and he actually asked me if um, I wanted to do a fantasy football segment for the Dallas Cowboys. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not turning that down. 
So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to him, thanking him for allowing me to come on his show and do that segment. Um, you can follow him at on Twitter at Because Cowboys. I have a link to the video, so I'll show you. Um, I'll post it on our social media if it's not already there. Um, and finally, I want to give a shout out to the guys over at FF Pilots. Um, I've been doing some contributing work with them, done a couple articles, done a couple videos. But I just wanted to give a shout out and say thank you to the guys over there. Michael Voyou, Dustin Haubecker, Jordan Arnold, and Greg Wolford for you know allowing me to jump on your team and being able to help in any way that I can. Especially, I want to say thank you, a special thank you to Michael Voyou. I hope I wasn't getting on your nerves. <laughs> we was going back and forth on Twitter about the uh, Cowboys and Raiders. But uh, me and him have a little fantasy, not a fantasy bet, but it's more like a player's bet because we got into the discussion of Antonio Brown and Amari Cooper, who would be better this season. And, you know, we went back and forth on Twitter, so I'll probably try and dig those up and, uh, you know, make uh, get on his nerves a little bit more. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at fantasy's finest you can follow me on twitter as well as at not at at i am hyperion underscore fph thanks for listening we'll check you guys in the next episode